This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Tuesdays with Trey. Uh, this is a treat for me. I know I've said that in the past and I've meant it. I mean it this time. Uh, our guest today is one of the best known television personalities, at least for me, in terms of what I watch. He's on every day covering the news and breaking news and especially, at least from my vantage point, when elections are in the air, uh, he is ubiquitous. Uh, he can operate election maps effortlessly. I, I can't even read a teleprompter. Uh, he handles these computers. He knows precinct breakdowns. He can tell us not to be kind of cajoled into a false sense because some numbers are in and others are not. He's also, at least my interactions with him, one of the nicest people you will ever meet. He works hard. He's prepared, which you can tell he's well-researched, which is why Fox trusts him, not just every day to tell us what's happening, but he's also drafted on the biggest nights with the most important news. You probably guessed by now, but it's Bill Hemmer. Bill, thank you for wow. joining us. Hey, Trey, thank you. That is a that is, that is one hell of an introduction. So thank you for that. I I, I, I want to know if you'll do my eulogy someday. <laughs> well, you're so much younger than I am. You, you better get somebody else to sign up for that. Nice. I'll be long gone. Well, well, either that, at the hands of my wife or someone else. I'll be long gone. Well, you tell her hello and it's great to be with you, Trey. I, I will. Thank you. All right. I, this is a weird question, but I love asking uh, famous people or people that the folks that listen to my podcast, they see them all the time, but they see them in a certain way and a certain age of life. I want you to tell us what Bill Hemmer was like growing up. I think one of five children, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, but Correct. tell us about the young Bill Hemmer? Wow. Um, I guess um, hmm, I was very energized, Trey. <laughs> I think I would start there. I was very active. Uh, it was hard to sit still. I was one of these kids who would sit in classroom and stare out the window and I would see green grass and blue skies and I'd say, man, I want to be out there. Um, so... <laughs> um, I guess that's where I'd start. Um, there was a moment, however, going from grade school to high school. I, I went to an all-boy Catholic school. There were a thousand boys, and I think we had like five girls and some scattered classes from the all-girls Catholic school across the driveway. So it was Seton High School with the ladies on one side and Elder High School on the other. And I, 
I tell you, I remember my mom coming in my bedroom just about every morning of my life, uh, throwing up the shades and singing, Oh, Let the Sun Shine In, um, because she was trying to get me out of bed. And that, that was a struggle up until the eighth grade. And the first day of high school, when that alarm went off and she opened that door, I got out of bed, made my bed, had breakfast, and I was off and I was ready for the challenge. And I, I guess the only reason that, I think the reason that happened is because I knew there were 999 other guys that I had to compete with. And I um, accepted that challenge. And I really, I mm, don't think I've looked back since. How's that for an anecdote off the top of my head? Do you buy that? That's fantastic. And I'm sitting there thinking if I went to an all boys school, I'd be staring out the window too. Uh, (laughs) I, I I did not, I did not have to do that. But you mentioned high school. How did you convince the powers that be to allow you to start a radio program Mm -hmm. and give you the intercom system? (laughs) How did you do that? Well, you did your research. Um, It was senior year. And in my school, there was pressure on you from the moment you walked in the door as a freshman to say, what do you want to do in life? And I understand why they did that, but I always thought it was unfair because how do you know at age 15? I've got no clue. And I knew my father sold mattresses for a living and I knew he was in his car at 8.05 a.m. every morning in the driveway. And I knew he came home at 6 o'clock every night so the family of seven of us would sit down and have dinner. And I thought, Pops, you've been doing that for 35 years in that factory. I've got to find something something else because if that is what I'm subjected to I'm not quite sure how long I can hold my interest Um, so we had a tower at our school still exists today but nobody used it and there was a PA system that was hooked up to the entire school and me and my buddy uh, Doug Lutz said we've got an idea at 730 in the morning we're going to play bad rock and roll music and we're going to pipe it out to the entire school and that's how we're going to start our day and they said give it a shot and it lasted a grand total of three weeks Trey three weeks but I knew at that moment I thought you know what I, I only know about sports and music at this point in my life so maybe I'll be a disc jockey when I when I go to school so that's when I declared broadcast journalism at Miami of Ohio and <clears throat> we went on from there. All right. You, you, you have led us to believe that you spent your time sports, music, and staring out the window. That's what I've heard so far. But only but staring out the window was a grade school student. In high school, it all changed. I was going to say, because it had to change, because you got into Miami of Ohio, which is not an easy school to get into, notwithstanding the fact that a former colleague of mine somehow or another got, got in before you did. Mm-hmm. I think that's where Paul went. You're correct. Uh, we were fraternity brothers. He's a little. Is he older than you? Or no, he's. Uh, we're five years apart, so we missed each other by a year academically. So you pick Miami of Ohio, which is a has an excellent academic reputation, and you declare your major in broadcast journalism. I love to ask people because young people are vexed by what to major in. 
Why did you pick that? And would you do it if you had it to do all over? Great question. Loaded question. The reason I did is because I had to declare something and I thought it would be cool to be a sports reporter. And if that didn't work out, I could be a disc jockey. Trey, you're talking to what was a really shallow human being. (laughs) That's as far as I could see. Um, But that was... I. I thought it would be more interesting than selling mattresses. And at that age, that was the best explanation I could offer. Now, as you know, you go through life and things change and you have personal experiences that set you on a different path. And I think when I was 12, I found out how much money my dad was making a year. And I said, Pops, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, you make $60,000 a year. Pops, you're rich. And he said, it's never enough, Billy. It's never enough. And to the billionaires I meet today, Trey, they feel the same way. It's never enough. But my dad said, Billy, I got five of you. I would love to take care of all of you, but I can't. So I want you to know that you're going to have to figure out this college thing on your own. And so through a series of loans and just working a ton of jobs, 19 different odd jobs between the age of 16 and 21 or 16 and 19, um, was able to save enough money and put myself through school and get an internship in Cincinnati, Ohio, which I parlayed into a part-time job. And so by the time I was a senior, I had a full-time job because, Trey, I lived an exceedingly paranoid life when I was a young man. You know, <laughs> I was paranoid that I was not going to be able to figure it out. That raises a fascinating question, which I actually was not planning on asking you, but I am going to ask you. Some people are motivated by a desire for success, and some people are motivated by a fear of failure. It sounds to me, well, it almost sounded to me like you're motivated by a fear of failure, but you wanted to succeed at least to not have to work the same kind of schedule your father work. So how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I would split the baby on that answer. If you shall allow me, counselor. Um, I think 50% of it in hindsight was driven by fear and 50% of it was the desire to succeed. Um, uh, if, if you'll grant me that, I, I think those were, uh, I think they can both be true. And I think they can be both, uh, sorry, I think they both can be motivating emotions. Do you accept that? I do. I do. Um, I don't understand it because I'm 100% motivated by a fear of failure, uh-huh. but I, 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 I do detect in some of my friends that it is a, a desire for success. Now, you did something. This may not be right. D- did you really take a year off and just go travel the world by yourself? With a backpack. <laughs> well, and a, and a what book. Possessed you? Um, I was. Um, I'll give you the cliff notes on this. When I was at Miami of Ohio, they have a, a program in Luxembourg, um, and I went on this program. It was the only school at the time in the entire country of Luxembourg, which is tiny, and it changed my life. Uh, every weekend, you're going to a different place. You're 19 years old. You're traveling with friends. You're seeing the world in a different way. And the more you explore, the more questions you have about where else can you go. So I came home, and I, I wanted to get this job in TV. I was lucky enough to get it. Boom. Got the spot. But but I was doing sp- I was a sports reporter, which was great because, Trey, I'm living in Cincinnati, Ohio, okay? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
I'm reporting sports, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Reds. You're talking Boomer Esiason, Chris Collinsworth, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, my childhood heroes. And that, that was an amazing time to be alive. The down part of it is that I was as green as a stalk of asparagus tray. So all the mistakes I was making that I should have been making out in Dubuque or Des Moines or Duluth, I was making them in front of my family and friends in Cincinnati, Ohio. But it was a hell of a job. And I was like, man, I'm 26. I, I've worked seven years for this job. I've worked till midnight every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for seven years. I've missed a ton of weddings. I, I missed a lot of family events. Um, but there's one thing I got to do, and that is I, I got to backpack around the world before I turn 30. Because, Trey, I thought I was going to have a midlife crisis if I did not do this before I turned the age of 30. And I was 26. I had $15,000 in the bank. And I sketched out a trail where I could fly east to west around the globe and hit what I consider to be the most interesting spots that I read about, which would include the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the Great Wall of China, the skyline of Hong Kong. I wanted to see the Himalayas in Nepal. I wanted to see the Taj Mahal in India. I wanted to meet Mother Teresa in Calcutta. I wanted to see the pyramids in Egypt. I wanted to go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And so soon enough, I'm charting out this plan where I can find a way to tie all these spots together. What happens and what you don't anticipate is that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people doing all this at the same time. And they come from countries from all over the world. Sometimes they're your age. Sometimes they're younger. Sometimes they're older. Sometimes they're going in your direction. Sometimes they're going in reverse. And you meet them and you talk to them and you say, how, how was Catman do. Oh, it was great, but the place you really got to check out is Lumbini, Nepal. I'm like, Lumbini, Nepal? What the hell's going on? And, and it's the birthplace of Buddha. Um, and so I would put that on my list and I would see as how much of my list can I check off in a one year's time? So I spent 15 grand. I came home $3,000 in debt. And you had another one of these life experiences, Trey, where it sets you off in a different direction, one you cannot anticipate, but you do anyway. And then you try to understand why you did this, where it's taking you. And today I'm talking to a former congressman from the state of South Carolina and a prosecutor who I have enormous respect for. And I'm, I'm telling you this story. And without that tray, I, I would have never been hired at a national level. And I would have never had the opportunity to meet people like you. I'm with you, brother. I, I, but, but surely to goodness, either your mom, your dad, or both, or someone, some adult said, you're going to do what? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a fact. Um, I said, don't worry. I'll be all right. I'll be, I'll be careful. 
And I, I had an agreement with the local newspaper and the local TV station back home because you don't know what happens. You know, you're working for seven years and you're 26. Maybe you get malaria and you got to come home in four months. And I didn't really want to chuck away everything that I had gained professionally. So I said, well, why don't we do some stories? And my boss said, great idea. I'll get you a camera. You can send back video. And the first video I sent back was a bungee jump from, the, from what was then the tallest bridge in the world, the A.J. Hackett Bridge in Queenstown, New Zealand. And uh, that put a little bit of a fright in them. But all was well. Didn't sleep much the night before. But, it, yeah, experiences like that, Trey, phenomenal. Um, it's the kind of year that I could talk about for hours because as I look back on it now, so much of it makes sense to me. You know what you could talk about for hours and what I wish my daughter would would listen, how you lived on $15,000 for a year. Great because question. Yeah. That is like a weekend at the mall. For, <laughs> I, I, how did you do that? I mean, I know you went a little bit in debt, but that's not a ton of money to travel the world. Yeah, keep in mind this. And for your younger listeners, please understand the context here. This is 1992-1993. There, this was right before email, which means it was right before internet. And this was right before ATMs. So you had to travel with American Express Traveler's Checks, right? And you got to stuff them away in your backpack. So you, so if you get robbed, you know where they can, where you can keep them. Um, you... Also, but, well, there, there's this, I think they're still in business today. It's called the Lonely Planet Life on a Shoestring. And what they have done is they've gone out and paid people to go live in all these towns and countries and send back dispatches for where you eat, where you stay, are there hostels or hotels, or um, can you stay at a family house, et cetera, et cetera. But this is super cheap stuff, Trey. You got to remember, this is China, okay? This is China when China was considered to be a third world country. I think about that. I mean, to me, that's just phenomenal. This is India as even before it was considered to be an emerging market. So what you're spending a day is minuscule. It's like five bucks, five bucks to sleep, maybe $10, $15 total for room and board and whatever you need to get yourself through that day, sometimes less. And man, was I cheap, Trey. I, I could, I was super cheap, but it worked. We're going to pause right there. More of my interview with Bill Hammer coming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right. What, what, when you survey your career, which is, you know, you still got 30 years left, but you've literally traveled the world you've covered the world nearly every major event that i can think of certainly in the last couple of decades uh, so while you're covering some of the most significant events in the history of the world how do you have the humility to remain a a news guy 
and resist the temptation to insert your opinion because all the times I've watched you, I don't know that I could not tell you what your politics are. Well, I appreciate that. All the times I watch you, I could not tell you. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that board, right, during your introduction. I think the board only works with extensive rehearsal <laughs> because the problem is, is that if you get jammed, you got to figure you have to know quickly how to get out of it. So there are trap doors in that software and you got to figure it. You got to know that if you go in a certain place or and the computer doesn't respond, how do you get reset back to um, back to the beginning or out of it? One thing that I, uh, when I talk about that story a lot to like high school kids or college kids or even people that I work with here at Fox, that maybe they're 25, 26 years old. What I, what I try and tell them is that you have to remember that I did that trip using a book. <laughs> okay. I picked a book up. I dropped a book off. I picked another book up, depending on which country I was a book. And I, I think even today, you know, how, how do I live without email? How do I go a day without checking out what's new on Instagram? So it's, it's a whole different world on that, on that level. Um, I think the education that you gain from that personal experience is invaluable. And, and, and my job today, I, I, I don't think really a day goes by where you don't incorporate some level of knowledge that you learned out there that you bring to the desk for your own understanding, whether it's whether it's the trip last uh, week to the Middle East between Israel and and then the West Bank and into Saudi Arabia. You, you study this when you go to the old city of Jerusalem and you're 26 years old and you sit in a in a in a room in the Arab quarter of the old city and you're overwhelmed by the amount of information and knowledge and history and the years that have gone before you in that city alone, it's overwhelming. And it's, it's the one place, Trey, where I sat for two days and just read by myself to try and understand what is important to whom and why. And that, that's, that's the great benefit of having a life experience like that. Um, and I think the, to your question, when you do learn it that way on your own terms, maybe you have a better shot of seeing all sides. Right. Now, as you grow older and later into adulthood, you know, I'm 57 now. Um, I, I, I actually feel quite strongly about what my views are on what the best way is for America to act here and around the world. But is that, should that be a part of my program? I would say no. Um, But it is certainly the job of the people who we bring on to talk to for them to express what they believe is important for that story at that moment. I'm with you, brother. I mean, in a courtroom, if you don't know the other side better than you do your own, then you're not going to be a very good litigator. I, I still marvel at the humility to cover these incredible stories and still maintain a reality of, um, I don't want to say detachment, but not telling people, letting people figure it out, kind of like you did mm-hmm. uh, in 
in Jerusalem, which, by the way, I just took my wife to Jerusalem. She's the most authentically spiritual person I've ever been around, and I wanted her to see all the places that she grew up hearing about in church. Uh, it is an amazing um, amazing place, and you could spend uh, two years reading and still not have it figured out. Uh, and I want to ask you about mm-hmm. some less heady stuff. Okay. I want to ask you, you mentioned sport. You're a sports nut. I'm a sports nut. Yeah. Your dream job, my dream job you've already had, which is working every day with Martha McCallum and Dana Perrine. Uh. You've already <laughs> had my dream job. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> As much as you love sports, and together you and I can mention Cesar Geronimo and Davey Concepcion, and we we can go through the entire Big Red Machine. We can even pick up Charlton Dibble and Randy Myers when they had a resurgence. We're not going to talk about them. The bad boys. Those are terrible now. But you love sports. You're phenomenal on television. Is your dream job not to – maybe cover sports wow um you know my dad has asked me about this all the time my dad's 83 great man mom's 82 great woman uh so blessed that you know they they're still here and they have such a tight union together um he always asked me about that i you know trey i don't know man i'm a huge cincinnati Bengals football fan but being a fan of that team for the past 20 years sure has been trying. But I will tell you, this past season had many rewards. I don't know if they'll ever get back to the Big Bowl. Super Bowl appearances are rare. As I said going into the game, you got to win it. you got to win it. And I've said every day since then, should have won the damn game. And we didn't. And maybe we get back and maybe we don't. But if I were to paint a dream job, and they've got a terrific broadcaster now. His name is Dan Horde. Uh, he does a great job. Uh, and the color commentator, Dave Lapham, former guard, played at Syracuse and the Bengals. Great guy. Great enthusiast. I mean, that that might be... That might be maybe a dream job, or if 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 Fox still keeps the NFL contract, I, I would love to be a play-by-play announcer for an NFL game. Um, I, I think that would I think that would be a lot of fun, and it might take you away for just a time from covering all the uh, the real serious stuff that we do around here, and maybe some of the more laughable things that we see come out of Washington. It, it, it might be you know it might be a that might be fun, Trey. Well, I, I'm almost positive. I'm not even sure Suzanne Scott knows that I work for Fox, but I'm pretty sure she's not going to be listening to this podcast. So you are safe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No one's going to know your secret. I and no one's going to know that. I think you would be phenomenal. Wow. As a, I'm not sure you wouldn't be great as a color guy, but but as a play by play guy with your unflappability if that's a word with your ability to call what's happening without overtaking the moment um people that don't love sports bill i think don't understand fully why we're so obsessed with it mm. it's also unifying i mean i yes. have no idea the political orthodoxy of anyone else watching the british open yesterday and mm. i don't care because yeah. we have golf in common and that's enough yeah i agree with you that's a great observation I have no idea either. I can guess, but I might be wrong. Um, 
I, I tell you, Trey, um, I don't know what you do to get away from your life or to get away from life, but I've so far only found two things that really distract me. And years ago, I, I got a sailing certificate, and I found out when you are responsible for the tiller in a sailboat, not, not, not sitting on the boat drinking a glass of rosé, but when you got to pay attention to winds and de- water depth and direction and all, it, it, I found it took me away from life, and it helped me relax in a significant way. And the only, I, I don't do it a lot anymore. Uh, it's been several years. But the other thing that I think, if you want to do it well, Trey, you must focus entirely on every aspect of your golf swing. If you're on your phone checking emails and text messages, you can write off that round. But if you want to play well and expect a good outcome for your round that day, you must focus. And I think that's the other thing that I've learned that gets you away from life for a little bit. How do you feel about that? No, I, I, I keep having go going through my head. Nick Faldo, who was the number one player in the world for more than a minute, he said he could not tell you how many under par he was during a round. Oh, he love that. that. And these guys, like I was watching yes, yesterday, the Barracuda after the uh, Open Championship ended, and the guy leading, Ches Reavy, I believe is his name, Never looked at a scoreboard. He had to ask mm. his caddy on the 18th green, do I need to make this pot? Am I still in it? That is, yeah, I mean, golf, golf's one of those rare sports, Bill. The harder you try, you don't necessarily do better. Um, it's mental. Yeah, you, I, mm. I know when I'm looking at my phone on the golf course that I am probably soon going to be going into my wallet. Uh, yeah, right. You'll be whoever <laughs> I am. I am playing. Yeah. Uh, do, do you get to play much golf? I know there are some Fox uh, personalities, very prominent ones that do get to play with some regularity. Do you? I get out on the weekends. Yeah, uh, a round during the week in the summertime. If I schedule it right, I can make it happen. But it's usually reserved for the weekend. And w- one thought on that trade. I don't know if you know Dr. Bob Rutel out of Virginia. He's he's wrote he's written a ton of books. One of the books is called Golf Is Not a Game of Perfect. And one of the things that he preaches is never look at the scorecard. Don't look at it. And and I don't. I don't keep scoring to the very end because I I would be thinking about the wrong things. You mean the uh, Dr. Bob Rutella whose book I'm currently holding in my hand no. out of your mind because come on. Uh, the guy that I play most of my rounds with actually played college golf at UVA and he was on tour for uh, more than a minute. Uh, he knows Rotella, but you're the only reason in the world that Brad Faxon uh, reached out to me. You saved my life when I was in a very, very, very dark <laughs> place. I do need, I do need to be under a doctor's care when it comes to my putting. Oh. And Rotella is a doctor, although I think it's a not a medical doctor. I need one of those too. <laughs> and then you watch Cam Smith, who has a really poor putting round on Saturday mm-hmm. by his standards. Bill, he doesn't go change putters. He doesn't call us putting coach. He said, I need to watch a couple go in. I putted for five minutes, and I went home and went to bed. Mm. Just watching the ball go in the cup. But 
my psychiatrist has told me I cannot talk about putting. I, I'm not for another week. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on and ask wow. you. Okay, done. Yeah, I, I'm under I, I'm under strict doctor's care. I, I just, <laughs> he just said you you you, you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. So so wait, wait a minute, Trey. Fax got in touch with you. Is that what you're saying? Oh, what I'm saying is when I went on television and made that very cheap ploy to get in touch with Brad Faxon and you saved my life. So not only did I have his number before the show ended, I had heard from him before I went to bed that night. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I'm trying to get him. He went to, he went to college, yeah, the Furman, at Furman University yeah. right next door from where I live. And mm. I'm trying to get him to come back. He's played the course that I played when he was in college, I'm trying to get him to come with a guy named Michael Breed, who's another friend. Uh huh. And, and, and I've said, look, I'm not going to ask for a putting lesson. I just let me watch you for 18 holes yeah. and pick up stuff. Do you know John Radcliffe? Uh, yes, I do. Certainly. All right. Radcliffe got a putting lesson from Brad Faxon. Okay. And I cannot go through life knowing that he has something that I did not yeah. have. Yeah. I just can't. So, I don't have a brother. You got brothers. I don't have one. Mm-hmm. I can't let that little brother have something I don't have. Yeah, so. I think you need to get after that. Yes. Yes. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go with what I hope are some fun questions. Not, not, they're fun for me to ask. Yeah, do it. not be fun for you. I, I can't detect like a tell when I watch you. It doesn't appear that you have a pet peeve. But do you have a pet Wow, peeve? great question. I need cold water, not room temperature, but cold water, and I need Altoids. <laughs> so that would be my pet peeve. Every morning I eat a banana at 9.30. Is that a pet peeve? I guess it could be. Um, and that, um, I would say, for work anyway, those are my three. But to start my day, I need a latte from Starbucks. Boy, you are low maintenance. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> ever told you that before, but you are low. <laughs> a latte and a banana, and just don't get the water, you know, out of a out of a faucet that doesn't work. Correct. That, that's that's low. More of my conversation with Bill Hemmer coming up. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, you mentioned music when you were in high school. Music and sports. You only get to listen to one song for the rest of your life. Wow. What song is it? Wow, wow, wow. Um, I'm big on Dylan. I'm big on Springsteen, but I'd have to go Frank Sinatra's Summer Wind. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're asking me, you know, off the top of my head, that's what I would, that's what I would go for. You're so eclectic. How many people Mm. would give an answer that included Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and Frank Sinatra? Right, but you said one song, right? Yeah, I mean, Yeah. All right. Funniest movie you've ever seen. Ooh, no doubt. Hands down. When we were growing up, Trey, America needed to make a decision. This is the 1980s. You either had to buy a VHS machine or a Betamax machine. Well, the genius that we are, 
of the Seven Hammer family, we decided to go Betamax. And the rest of the world went VHS, and you know the rest, right? So on Betamax, we had a grand total of 10 movies we could watch, and one of them was Bill Murray in Stripes. I know every line by heart to this day, and that would be my favorite movie of all time. It is a very, very funny movie, but because you and I are almost the same age, uh, I'm going to have to guess that you have seen the movie Fletch. I have, yes, yes. Did you like it? Chevy Chase, I loved yes. it. It was very good. Um, I don't know if I would put it in my top five, but I, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. Just speaking of movies where literally you can quote almost every line and still people our age, mm -hmm. when when they say something, you know, immediately it came from the movie Fletch or maybe Caddyshack. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yes. All three of those films. Yes. Is there a question that you ask throughout your career that you wish you had back? <sighs> hmm. Off the top of my head, no. Is there one that, in hindsight, you wish you had asked? Yeah, I would say, you know, being with Obama or being with Trump or being with Bush, maybe there was a moment here or there on a particular topic, and maybe it didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. And I, I would reframe I would reframe one of them. Um, but I'm thinking about the big boys there, and... Those are hard. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing really comes to mind. I don't. Is anyone able to answer that question? Um, I think. Uh, well, I only I only ask it of people. Um, in uh, maybe Shannon Bream may have thought of one. Mm -hmm. It was Shannon or Martha. But uh, but I quickly told them that they made the right decision in not asking it uh, because um, it's hard. I tell you what, asking questions for a living is hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard. Yeah, I, I would say that at the end of every show, I, I by the way, Trey, no one is better at the rearview mirror than me. <laughs> and that that's not a good thing. But I always look back and think, maybe we could have done it this way, or maybe I could have done it that way. Um, I, I don't belabor the point, but I think it's healthy to give yourself a fair review. Probably makes you better the next day just by a little bit, or the next week just by a little bit. But I, I think it's fair to explore. All right, I got to ask you this, and then you got to go back to work, and I got to go to the golf course. Oh, man. Oh, but I wish I were you. You're on television all the time, not on, not just daily, but I, you're filling in at 6 p.m. You're filling in on Sundays. I don't mean to say filling in. I mean, you're, you're, you're hosting. Filling, uh, not my shows, but yeah, correct. But I, I don't know that I've ever seen you where I thought, you know what? He woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. Uh. It happens to all of us. You just, you know. You just, you maybe don't have the same energy, maybe, you know, other stuff's going on. So, but I've never seen you where I thought, you know what? He's just, he, he's having a bad day today. Mm -hmm. How 
do you get motivated and like appear so unflappable every single wow that that's high praise maybe i should adjust a little bit maybe maybe it'll be more interesting i i've always thought that um, i need to be prepared i can't be caught off guard and i've always thought that preparation is your best defense so if you were to encounter a story or a circumstance or a fact that you'd be able to straighten it out immediately and the potential for making a mistake live on TV would not be eliminated but it would be lessened and maybe that's that's pretty much the way I approach it but just the phrasing of your question I consider that high praise um thank you for that Trey thank you oh oh I'm I mean it. This is coming from a guy who has like read the little abbreviation SOT before. Uh, And for people not in that line of work, that's a sign to stop talking, that there's some sound on tape coming. That is not something to be read off the teleprompter. But I tell all my friends, look, being in the courtroom and just coming up with stuff on the fly is so much easier. Wow. That, really? That, oh, it is a thousand times easier. Television is a lot harder than people like you make it look. Why? Just because there's no live television, there's no safety net. And, you know, if you're in it in front of a jury and you stutter or I mean, you can almost make it like that was part of what you intended to do. But like last night when I read the intro and welcomed people to the show like mm. three times in a row, that's not part of the shtick. I mean, that's <laughs> a guy that is Ron Burgundy. Oh, well, come on. Led to his teleprompter. Don't be hard on yourself. I think the reason why you're able to do that in courtroom is because that is your forte. And you know the case better than everybody else in the room. That's what I think. And I think you find really good questions if you do the research and you, if you're, I always say that the information is in the detail. But to get to the detail, you got to get deep into the article. And if, you, if you've got the time to get that far, then people like me are able to find a question based on perhaps some fact that might be in that story, and you can frame a question around it. Um, I, I think you're being too hard on yourself. I, mean, I, I watch your show. You know what's... Listen... You gave me a ton of compliments. I'm grateful. Thank you. Uh, Not necessary, but certainly appreciate it. Your talent is your ability to write and then communicate the ideas on paper to a vast audience. And that's a skill. And you've got it. Well, thank you. I love to write. Uh, Unfortunately, there were no openings, I don't think, when I applied for a writer job. So if there are any that come open on your show where you can just write and don't like actually have to do the teleprompter, I hope you'll keep me in mind. I love I love to write and I will amplify something you said when my kids were in school. I made these little binders for them at the beginning of the school year. Why? I don't know. They both made much better grades than I made, but I just thought it'd be neat to start off the school year with these little tiny black notebooks that they could put their papers in. And I put a quote 
in the front of them, and it was chance favors the prepared mind. Oh, so yeah. my nice. kids laugh. It's Louis Pasteur quote, and I I've told them you know, people that think you're smart people. It is preparation. The, the mm. best members of Congress, the ones that were, if you watch on both sides, the ones that are best at asking questions are the ones who spent the most amount of time the previous week preparing to ask those questions. Wow. So yeah. chance yeah. favors the prepared mind. I love that. I, I like only the paranoid survive. And just because you're paranoid does not mean everyone is not out to get you. You can both be paranoid and they can be out to get you. That's right. Amen. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And mainly, I I thank you for letting people know that you can be famous and successful and really good at what you do and still a good person. And I hope that at some point, time before my wife takes me to Trembling Hills or wherever she takes me, that I get to watch you do the play-by-play of a Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, man. That's what I hope. Thank you, brother. Uh, From your lips, maybe someday, Trey. Amen (laughs) to that. Thank you. Great to be with you. Uh, Trey, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Uh, Me too. Thank you. And you got to get back to work, and I'll go work on my short game. Right on, brother. Let me know how it goes. And and I'll, I'll, I'll let facts know that you're putting better. Well, I still need him, though. I still need him. (laughs) Yes, you do. Thanks, Trey. You take care. Thank you. Thank you all for, for joining us. We'll see you next Tuesday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.